Welcome to a new year of Tooling Talks. I'm your host, Chris, and I'm excited to welcome you back for a new year of exciting interviews all about tooling in the Scala ecosystem. I've got some great guests lined up for you this year, some great topics in the works, and maybe even some projects related to Scala tooling that I'm excited to share with you. Our first guest of 2022 is one that I've worked with in open source for a couple of years now. He's currently leading the charge in developing Metals and many of the other libraries and tooling that Metals relies on. Most of you out there listening are probably relying on some of the stuff he's actively maintaining in the Scala ecosystem without even knowing it. We had a great conversation about getting involved in tooling, playing the role of a firefighter, and even some interesting new features in Metals. Without further ado, let's dive in and learn from Tomic. Thanks for joining. All right, so thank you so much for, for joining me. I'm really excited to be back, to be doing another episode. Uh, before we get started with anything, can you go ahead and just introduce yourself and yeah, just tell everybody who you are? Sure. Uh, hi, my name is uh, Tomasz. Uh, I work at VirtusLab as a contributor for Scala Center. So it's kind of a mouthful, but uh, in essence, I am kind of a borrowed uh, developer to Scala Center. So I work for, for uh, on Scala Center's projects um, from Poland, basically. Okay, and um, how long have you been at Virtus Labs? Oh, at Virtus Lab, I've been six and a half years, I think. It's... Oh, wow. Okay, and yeah. how many of those years were at the Scala Center? I think three, if I three. count correctly. Okay, so but do you... I started, I think it was 2019? in june okay or april yes do you feel more like like you're a virtuous lab employee or more like a scala center employee or is it sort of like blended in the middle a little bit kind of blended because <laughs> uh, i try to keep in mind that uh what, what scala center needs and uh, also uh, i remember that there's a lot of things that virtuous lab does and i'm always uh, thinking like, is there anything that I can help somebody with having the knowledge I have? Mm -hmm. um, but ha being a part of a larger company also helps me to get gather feedback and uh, ask yeah. people, hey, have you tried metals yet? Uh, yeah. And people, there's uh, one uh, person in my company who usually makes fun of me because he says it doesn't work and he hasn't even tried. Uh, yeah, I have also colleagues of mine that will just like, constantly tell me how wrong things are with metals or that it, they, they don't work well with metals just because he knows it'll bug me and he knows that it'll force me to look into it or something. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm actually really excited to have you here today and to talk even a little bit about metals because yeah, you and I have worked on metals together yes. pretty much for a couple years now. We've never hardly actually like spoken and we've never seen each other in real life before and we have barely like spoken on video or anything either. So this yeah. is fun for me to, to chat a little bit with you. But yeah, I, I have a ton of questions for you all about Scala Meta projects, Bloop, Metals, and a whole bunch of other stuff. But just a couple other questions before we get there. Like, how, you said you've been at Virtus Lab for like six years. Mm -hmm. uh, were you working in programming before that, or how did you sort of get started in tooling, or was Virtus Lab your kind of start in tooling? Uh, for sure, Virtus Lab was my start in tooling because we did a lot of work for a, a large financial company, which I cannot name. Uh, but they had a very large Gradle code base, uh, which uh, we helped uh, to um, kind of 
make workable because it was very hard for developers to work on that. So uh, I had a lot of, um, I learned a lot based on that code base with mm -hmm. uh, working with those tools. Um, but before that, I didn't work uh, in tooling at all. Okay. Uh, I worked uh, in a previous company, I worked on Akka. Uh, um, on a smaller project that was kind of like this gamification thing. Okay. Uh, it was actually a very fun project, but I don't feel, think it went anywhere. And uh, that's it. So Virtus Lab is uh, my second company. Uh, okay. And before that was studies. And then what about like your foray into open source? Like, have you always been a little bit active in open source or was it during your times of working on tooling at Virtus Lab that you started to slowly get involved in open source or how did that come into the picture? So it's funny because I, I only tried a bit in order to engage in open source, but I never managed to make it a more permanent thing. Uh, so, um, especially, uh, like recently, the last three years, I've been able to work so much on open source on mm -hmm. different projects, and I'm able to actually choose, uh, you know, which fires to extinguish in open source, <laughs> uh, based on what I think uh, is best and ba based on what uh, people need. Uh, so it's kind of fun to be able to uh, work on everything uh and not anything particular at this, the same time i don't know if that makes sense but um, yeah i think so okay and uh and because of the fact that i only started with open source students once uh, that became my job description uh because of that i understand when pe when people uh have issues getting into that because it's mm -hmm. very problematic to get into a complicated project and uh in the your free time yeah so uh I, I would honestly always find it really uh awesome that people uh, are able to do that even if yeah. their main job is something totally different sometimes even a totally different programming language mm. which is uh yeah i feel awesome yeah that's a that's a really good point like i have questions written down sort of related to this too because yeah you're you're and some would say a, a lucky one where you get to work on open source tooling for your actual day job too so uh do you find that you also spend some of your free time on that as well or do you try to have like some type of break so that it doesn't just seem like you're working on the same open source tooling like you're all the time or like how how, how has that worked for you um so i'm sorry to say that my, i do work on the same projects in my free time <laughs> You don't have to apologize for it. I mean, it's different for every person, right? Like if you're fine with it, then 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 the great. But yeah, I usually work on some smaller features or things I think uh, are cool. For example, mm -hmm. metal uh, that can wait that are not necessary for anyone. Just yeah. I want to work on them. Sure. Uh, like things like um, go to definition for synthetics. Uh, I think I merged recently. I actually worked on it a while back and only now I figured how to get it working all together. Uh, so, uh, I love that, that that's in my free time. So. Yeah. I love that. That's the example of a small feature is going to definition of synthetics in metals. <laughs> Cause I'm sure for most people, they would be like, well, that's, that's crazy. That's your small free time stuff. 
but yeah, there, there was a couple of things you mentioned right away that I, that I think we should talk about too, is uh, that you know sort of what it's like a little bit getting into tooling, especially for projects that are maybe more difficult and it is hard to get into tooling. Like, yeah, just let's, let's talk about that a little bit because it's something, especially in this new year that I... I really want to focus on a little bit more is trying to help people get more involved in tooling, especially those that are from the outside looking in, because it sort of seems like sometimes you have these people that know like a ton about these very specific tools. And mm -hmm. then you have the other side of people who maybe don't very know very much about them. And then in the middle, sort of like this empty, vast wasteland where there's just not a lot of people. It's either like almost like you go all in or you, you don't really go in. So yeah, like you mentioned that you have related to that. So like what, what are some thoughts that you maybe have about making it easier for newcomers to tooling to get started, whether it's in your projects that you've worked on or just in general? Like how, what type of advice would you give people? Uh, I think the best advice is to work, uh, if you want to work on tooling or any kind of open source project, is to work on the project that you actually use. That's easiest to get started uh, because mm. if you use that project you have an incentive to fix things uh, and uh, for me it's metals and program metals and metals so whenever i find a bug i sometimes fix it because it, they annoy me so much um, yeah. <laughs> so i feel like it's an incentive because then you can um, fix things that you can actually use and see the results of so that's mm -hmm. also a good thing about tooling because uh, you're not doing uh, this huge app that uh, you're just a part of a really large team and you can test it out, but then you did this small thing and it doesn't feel like it's that much yours. I feel like um, tooling gives you the ability to be more uh, in control of those new features of uh, things that uh, get added. And um, yeah, that's, uh, that's first uh, what I would start with is like a project that you use mm -hmm. uh, and what else? Um, I mean, you probably it's uh, best to first ask on any kind of channel the project is uh, using uh, if they, uh, what kind of help they would they need, if there's any issues that might be uh, nice to work on if you're a beginner Maybe mm -hmm. some people might have even time to speak with you to try to explain it a bit. Uh, or there's yeah. videos, uh, for example, in Metals, we do have some, I tried to do some videos of how to work on uh, features. Um, yeah. that, unfortunately, it's not the best quality. I, I would prefer a better quality. That's why I bought a new microphone, but that broke. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, a lot of product might know uh, a lot of contributors might better know uh, how to get started in that. Don't try to do it just all by yourself and try to figure it out because that, that takes more time than when you just ask and get some advice to start. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we've spoken about like metals has come up a few times already now. So like maybe mm. let's dive a little bit into metals, but how did you get started with metals? Like I know the story and I think even when I talked with Olaf on the podcast, he mentioned a little bit of the beginning from his perspective, mm -hmm. but yeah, walk us through like how you got started with working on metals and maybe even the whole Scala made tooling like ecosystem in general. So, uh, that, that's a huge topic, but, uh, I, I started with metals uh, with uh, 
Olaf helping me a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, he helped uh, me and uh, another colleague that worked at, it, at that time. Uh, he moved to some other projects, but uh, he did help me a lot, uh, Olaf, uh, with starting. He found some issues that might be good uh, to work on. Um, and uh, he explained everything, uh, how, what is the best workflow, uh, how to publish it, how to test it. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's all thanks to Olaf and he had a really, I actually think he has a really good, one of the best approaches to open source because he started this whole thing and now mm -hmm. there's a lot of different people doing, uh, working on different projects because he always wanted to introduce more and more people, uh, to those projects to, and he helped them uh, to get started, which mm -hmm. means he is, isn't the only person working on the projects anymore. Yeah. And he can, um, especially that he ha doesn't work on open source, uh, at least on this uh, Scala open source in his uh, normal day job. Uh, this means he doesn't have to spend his free time on uh, working on these projects. Uh, that he started and he would need to work on. I, I mean, he wouldn't need to because he, he, it's it's your free time. You don't need to do anything. Yeah. That's the yeah. main thing about open source. But I think he would feel more obligated to work on that if he didn't have anyone uh, helping out. Uh, and since I obviously work on uh, open source currently, so I am able to... Um, work on all those projects uh, that uh, would have otherwise uh, been maybe less maintained or unmaintained. Yeah. Okay. Um, and at the time, like was working on a language server, something that you thought was interesting or like, uh, yeah, like, or was it just a totally new world to you? Because now like metals is sort of just like, not to say your bread and butter, but I sort of viewed it as like the baton got handed off to you. And now you are sort of like leading the charge on metal. So yeah, was was working on an, uh, an you know an editor extension and and language server something that excited you in the beginning or have you sort of just gradually fell in love with working on this? I think after the first issue when I managed to get something working, I think there was a document highlight when okay. I managed to make it work with just some small code, publish it and work with it. I, mm -hmm. I at that time I realized this is quite fun because I can fix things for myself uh, which. Uh, in IntelliJ, I think it's much harder to do. Sure. Uh, I mean, IntelliJ is a, a really good piece of software, but I think it's also just much bigger and uh, more difficult to work with. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, the, I think it was this first issue that um, made me um, feel like this is something that is interesting. It is something that I might enjoy myself working on. Yeah. Um, previously, I didn't even know there was something I called a language server protocol. So ah, okay. this was totally new to me. And I, I felt like, uh, why would anybody use that? There isn't AJ. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there was just a huge metals release that, that came out, arguably probably one of the, like, the largest releases we've had in a while that brought like a ton of new stuff. But what are some recent changes to Meadows that you would say that you're really excited about that you would want to like focus on or, or shine some light on? I mean, I think uh, Java support, for example, uh, that is huge. It's not 
yeah, it's perfect. No interactive features uh, are there, so no completions, hovers, um, or um, metal signatures, nothing like that. Uh, but uh, there's uh, renames should work, uh, things like references, implementation, all that stuff should work. Mm -hmm. So whenever you refactor anything in your code base that shares uh, that have uh, has uh, Java and Scala sources, then it will work. Previously, it could break your code base, which is far from perfect, which is why I really wanted that uh, to work. Um, and it's especially uh, cool for me because I almost did nothing uh, in, to make it happen. I mean, I did uh, do uh, some finishing touches, like make sure that everything's working. But all the work was uh, uh, done actually by Arthur, who I think that's it in his, in his free time. So uh, this is one of the people that I feel uh, I admire really because I wouldn't do that probably because I maybe now if I uh, changed uh, my job, I would probably still work on metals, but getting started in an open source project while working on something else is super hard. So that yeah. is why I'm also very happy with that feature because he did an amazing job with a really complex uh, piece of uh, software. I mean, piece of uh, metals. Um, yeah. so related so, to that, sort of like give us a rundown of like how that actually works. Like how, how come Java wasn't supported before? And now when you say we have Java support, like what does that actually like? How does that work? Like how did we mm -hmm. unlock that? Yeah. So uh, Metals uses underneath a thing called SemanticDB, which might have been mentioned, uh, I think it was mentioned, but uh, it's kind, kind of, a, um, but I'll explain probably again, so if anybody's listening. <laughs> yeah, that's, go ahead. I, I feel like you talk about the Scala tooling ecosystem, SemanticDB kind of just like comes up. So, but yes, please do explain it again for people that are maybe unfamiliar with it. So it's a file kind of binary format, uh, uses protobuf, that uh, has encoded data about your uh, source files. So that uh, includes uh, what are the symbols, symbols meaning every name that you use in your code is a symbol. Uh, and uh, in SemanticDB, we have both information about what they are exactly, whether they're a class, method, um, or a value. Uh, as well as we have all occurrences of the same symbol listed. So we will know exactly if something is the same uh, symbol, if it's the same uh, reference to the same thing in your workspace, uh, because SemanticDB doesn't have, um, uh, everything has unique identifier, unique name which we can use for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, recently, maybe not that recently, but uh, Olaf did some work on Java Semantic DB, uh, which is used at source graph to generate uh, LSIF information. And because he did this uh, great job on the plugin, uh, we figured we could use that uh, the same way we use the Scala Semantic DB plugin to generate the semantic DB information, but for Java files, which is what happens uh, underneath. And semantic DB fuels everything that works on the whole uh, workspace. So anything that any uh, feature that might need to work on the whole code base at the same time. So like references, 
for example. Um, we need to find references in all the source files. Implementations, uh, those renames need to work on the whole uh, workspace. So everything that needs to work on the whole co uh, code base, we produce those semantic DB files to easily read the, the needed information from that. Mm -hmm. um, and just to like, like uh, maybe have like a rundown of how that works. Like I know, for example, with Scala 2 and semantic DB, a lot of people are probably maybe familiar with how compiler uh, plugins work and they just mm -hmm. you can include the semantic db plugin and then scala 3 will natively produce semantic db mm -hmm. but how does that work for java plugins and for those that aren't familiar with it because I'm, I'm not even super familiar with it like can you just take a java like plugin and pass yeah, that to I... the because it's just uh it's still you know scala c compiling your code right or blue comp that's compiling everything so is the plugin still included the same way or how does that plugin included then for so java and every uh, build tool actually invokes uh, Java C. Okay. So we can add the Java plugin there directly to the invocation of uh, Java C. Okay. Uh, so it's big, big, I'm not that familiar with uh, Java plugins. Uh, I kind of assumed that you just add it and it works and it does. So mm -hmm. uh, I haven't dived too much into that. But uh, I, I think the, the whole topic might be a bit more complex than just it's a plugin. Okay. Uh, but okay. Uh, ba basically, it's just uh, info adding the plugin, adding the uh, proper um, options, like uh, source route, so where, where all the sources route is located at, um, and just invoking uh, the okay. Java compiler. Okay. So with that, then you have semantic DB being produced for your Java sources, which then allows you to jump from, for example, like a Scala file to a Java file. And then before when you did that, you were sort of stuck, but now you can also jump from a Java file to a Scala file yes. and a Java file to another Java file, right? Yes. Uh, and even from uh, Java sources, you can jump to other Java sources, like the source jars, because ah, okay. uh, you can go to source, uh, sources of dependencies and we uh, generate the semantic DB on the fly there. Okay. Using and Java C. Okay, that's what I was going to ask next. What do you mean by on the fly? Is it sort of the same thing with Scala where we're passing we, stuff to the presentation compiler yes. and then it's being created? Same way with Java C, probably? Yes, we just invoke Java C. So we try to find where Java C is located at. So you might see some warnings in uh, when uh, we are unable to find that. Uh, mm -hmm. So. Uh, it's a new feature, so I'm happy it works. And there wasn't that many bugs reported about it. Uh, the bugs that were reported were mostly because of uh, some performance changes uh, that unfortunately popped up because of the other changes I did. But uh, other than that, Java support seems very solid, I feel. And so like the features that we talked about, again, were navigational features and mm -hmm. even re some refactoring features, but you mentioned some of the things that didn't work, right? Like completions or hover. Mm -hmm. Those Is there any way in the future that maybe some of those features will be unlocked or what would need to happen maybe to unlock some of those features for Java sources as well? Uh, I kind of looked into that a uh, couple of times because there's this huge other uh, thing that uh, like we have LSP, which is uh, servers for each of the languages, but mm -hmm. If you have a workspace with multiple languages, then how to make it all work together? So that's kind of nobody knows. Nobody, I don't think anybody feels that it's a problem. 
Uh, it is for JVM workspaces, yeah. I feel. And the Java um, plugin doesn't take it into account. So if you have Scala sources, it will not even compile it. Uh, plus of using uh, methods that we are able to use BSP. So if the tool compiles uh, even some Kotlin uh, code, uh, then we are able to at least compile that. Um, but uh, for Java plugin, it's not possible. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it would be awesome if it was. If there was a way to connect all those uh, language servers together, like if there was a language server interchange protocol or something like that. Sure. Uh, I was thinking even of starting one, but then I'm like, I don't have time. <laughs> that is way too much. And I, I'm not sure if even there would be that much interest. So uh, because of that, I uh, realized we need to kind of use the same uh, tools uh, that Java uh, language server uses. So underneath, I don't know if you know, uh, but it actually uses the same thing as Eclipse does. So that is JDT, uh, Java yeah. Development Toolkit, I think, um, which we use parts of it currently, uh, parts that we are able to use because uh, there's a lot of other Parts, especially things related to completions, that require an OSGI framework to be started uh, or framework runtime. I, I did actually uh, do a couple of things with OSGI at some point okay. at the university, but um, I don't remember OSGI that perfectly. And I feel like it is a bit too heavy to introduce it to metals. So uh, mm -hmm. I'm currently not sure what we can do to get completions, hovers, stuff like that working, because um, that would mean we would somehow need to bring all that uh, OSGI stuff into metals, yeah. which is a, a bit huge. And um, I feel like um, that that would not help us. Like it would make metals he much heavier and uh, probably less responsive using more uh, memory, uh, things like that. So um, I have no idea how to make it work currently. So unfortunately, that's uh, my answer. Uh, the, other, the only other option, because one would be to have some kind of an interchange protocol between the server and just start uh, the Java language server. The second would be to uh, actually use JDT, but that's hard. The third one would be to fork JDT, remove all OSGI, and use that. But uh, that that might be very hard. Yeah. Plus, well, you have actually, to. Actually, I have a fourth option. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you could actually start the Java language server underneath with everything set up. So you can actually we could generate uh, all the settings they need. We could even hide it from the users in the .metals directory. So they wouldn't be bothered about it and just start the Java language server with the data that we provide. Uh, so uh, all the information about class paths, uh, dependencies, yeah. stuff like that. We could do that. So that's probably, but I, I'm not sure we want that also because that is also very heavy having two language servers working together. So, uh, but yeah, so those are four ideas I had and each of them is a uh, rabbit hole that um, my, I might want, I tried to spend, spend some time on some of those, but then I figured I, I, I do have my life. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it also introduces sort of the question of like, what is the ultimate goal of Metals as well, mm -hmm. being a Scala language server? Because like you mentioned earlier, there are some amazing tools in the ecosystem like IntelliJ that does incredibly mm -hmm. well with uh, with projects that are very heavily mixed with, you know, so maybe some cotton sources, Scala sources, Java sources, whatever yeah. JVM language that you're on, where is the best is the best not to say like use of our time to try to mimic that in Meadows and, and get the same level of Java and Scala support or is that not really the goal that Meadows is trying to trying to solve? Because yeah, I know a lot of people use Meadows because they really like the lighter, much lighter editor mm -hmm. experience. It's doing hopefully less things, but doing them very well and doing them accurate. So do you start to lose maybe some of that when you pile on more and more different types of features and different types of things? So yeah, I, I think we do kind of lose, uh, especially we lose the time to fix everything uh, because, because there's we widen the scope. There's more things to fix. There's more things to figure out how they interact with each other. So I kind of feel like uh, we might never do the hovers and the um, couple of additional things like mm -hmm. uh, completions, uh, signature help. Um, we might try to mimic that using semantic DB. I tried to, to do an approach where we would uh, do hovers based on semantic DB information. Okay. Uh, that worked. I managed to uh, make it work, uh, but only for the local workspace things, uh, because that, that's what we have semantic DB for. We would need to, there's ways to go around it, but I feel like that might be uh, the thing that makes metals much heavier. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because just thinking about that, I guess if you could technically try to do a hover on a source that's external, then you'd have to somehow compile that other source and produce semantic DB for it in order for you to get even see your hover, which yeah would probably be really expensive. We have an ability to generate symbol information from the class path. Mm -hmm. uh, there, the semantic DB, uh, like it's not semantic DB, it's Scala Meta that has an ability to do that. We actually use it that a bit for implementations so that we have the full picture of uh, how um, the implementation tree looks like because we might have some missing nodes uh, and we might want to uh, know all the information about a certain Java uh, implementation. So implementations of a certain Java uh, mm -hmm. method, for example, then you would need to um, it would be much harder without that because we, if with that simple information, we can get those uh, inheritance information from the class path from uh, the jars. Uh, so it's possible to do that, uh, but uh, I feel like if we start using that approach heavily, uh, it would be uh, yeah heavy. Yeah. Uh, and additionally, it wouldn't work with anything that you modify. So it would be a non-interactive interactive feature kind of. Because hovers are supposed to be interactive to show you what's going on the, uh, uh, currently. Semi-interactive feature. Semi-interactive, yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, I feel like these interactive features might not work in metals uh, because they require much more investment from our side. And uh, that investment is better spent on bug fixing on making sure that uh, performance doesn't regress. I feel like maybe we didn't spend enough time on performance, uh, which 
uh, I think people are uh, seeing uh, and feeling that metals is getting a bit heavier. Although we do try to every feature we add uh, to add a minimal uh, amount of uh, performance overhead. So anything we add, we try to figure out if that doesn't uh, like um, destroy the performance. Although I did destroy the performance recently because <laughs> I uh, didn't realize that uh, it, it, it's a long story, but um, we fixed it. It's okay now. But uh, we were very, that was a PR that we were super careful not to add any overhead, where we had like four different iterations, like uh, two other contributors had some ideas, maybe this way, this way. Uh, but uh, finally, uh, I, we settled with uh, what uh, Vadim, uh, he's also working at Virtus Lab, uh, he uh, figured out how to uh, make it uh, nice looking but at the same time, not regressing the performance. Uh, but the thing that we didn't look into, that, that made the performance much worse for people, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, I'm coming back to the fact, uh, to the, uh, what we want to do with Java and Metals. I feel like currently we needed that uh, support for renames and references. We needed that. I feel like without it, I felt like we could really break some workspaces that were mixed and now i feel more confident about people using uh, metals in such projects but for interactive features i feel like if you're using java heavily it's probably better to use uh IntelliJ because that that is a java ide metals is not a java ide we want to help you with that but it's not a java ide uh, so for a while, you've been talking a little bit about uh, V1 potentially coming out soon. So is the plan to potentially have a V1 that is uh, released soon? Yeah, we, I, I want a V1 because I kind of feel like we're uh, dragging the concept of metals not being ready for too long because we do have a lot of features, much more features than a lot of different language servers and they don't bother with not having a version one, but um, I hoped that I would be able to just gather some features, some issues that into uh, this one box that we want to fix. If we fix that, it's a version one. So uh, we still have that box. Uh, it's about half, maybe one third of things uh, finished. Um, so I do hope because uh, currently I'm working not enough, but working on Bloop uh, to uh, can migrate Zinc uh, in Bloop. Uh, we can talk about it, I guess, later. Yeah, but, Bloop's a whole other bag of worms that we'll, yes. that we'll talk about. Uh, but uh, this year, uh, I would want to release Metals version one. And especially that I do have help uh, from uh, Versus Lab with some uh, team members. Uh, I feel like it is possible uh, to do. Uh, we do have a team at Virtus Lab that I'm working with. Uh, I'm helping. Uh, and uh, so I feel like it is possible that we'll manage to do uh, version V1 uh, this year. If anybody has ideas on the code lane, uh, do let us know. 
that's always the big question. What is the what is the metal name that needs to go with the release? So uh, looking back, like over your time that you've spent on metals now, a couple of different years, you've gotten pretty like intimately close with the code base, I would say. Is there anything you wish you could change about the design of metals that either you could go back two years ago and change or given a whole bunch of free time now that you think like, oh, if I would just if we change this around, it'd be so much better. Is there is there anything like that? I mean, there's a lot of things. I, I don't okay. know. I, I feel like every time I work on a piece that I worked previously, I'm like, yeah. who did that? And it was me. And so I'm, I'm like, why would I do this like that? Uh, but there's a bunch, one feature for sure, the one I did first, document highlight, I feel like we could do it using the presentation compiler. And I started toying with that in my free time, obviously in free time, because that's not necessary. But so it works, yeah because this would enable like document highlight. I don't know if everybody knows, but it, when you click on a symbol, it highlights all, all the other references to that symbol uh, in the document. And since it's in a single document, we could that do that uh, using the uh, presentation compiler, which would enable us to work without SemantiDB, without the compiling code. Uh, even if the code was broken, but the presentation compiler is still able to detect some information about, we would uh, have the document highlight working for that. Yeah. Uh, so this is one thing that I did that I would love to rework. There's uh, another thing that Olaf did, but uh, it's not, he didn't really do it badly. It just, uh, it was easier at the time to do a simple search the way it's done now. So it's based on the class buff. So uh, since it's based on the class buff and the compiling code, you need to um, have the code compiled. So anything that you add in another file, but you haven't managed to compile it all, uh, this means you will not get new completions. You will not get the go-to definition for those new symbols. And uh, this is also what uh, Olaf mentioned is one of the very, one of the oldest issues uh, in the issue tracker that we can make it better. We can make it much better using the, uh, minus y outlines uh, of compiler options. So we could just compile every public member and get their uh, signatures. And that shouldn't take too long because that that's, you wouldn't need to compile any bodies of methods or anything. Mm -hmm. And base the simple search. So uh, anything that uh, auto imports, anything uh, based uh, on that, uh, we could use those compiled uh, files and re refresh any uh, time anything changes, uh, which would make everything, like a lot of people I feel like uh, complained about, hey, I added a symbol, it's not seen here. Why is it not seen? Because it didn't compile yet. And especially if you work on multiple things at the same time, it might be difficult. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Th okay. that is something I would, love to work on, um, but uh, it is a hard topic, uh, but I feel like very interesting. Hmm, okay. Yeah, maybe that's a good question too. Like what, what are some of like your favorite types of things to work on metals? Like, do you have a favorite type of thing that in your free time that you enjoy working on? Like uh, either like one part of metals or like, is it just in general, whatever? I think uh, new features are the best if you're just like, uh, New features in bikes. I really like fixing bikes. I, I don't know if there's a lot of people, especially if the bike is simple. I mean, not the 
if the solution is elegant and simple, it's like, oh, it's cool. Uh, but, uh, so I do like fixing bugs. Actually, I could spend a lot of my time on fixing bugs if uh, uh, I had the time. Uh, but other is like totally new LSP features because then uh, you write the code, it takes a bit, then you uh, have something ready and you plug in, you run the VS Code extension or Vim extension and it works. It's like, wow, well, I didn't do any UI and it just works, which is amazing. There's actually like multiple LSP methods that we, we don't cover yet, which I, I'm yeah. surprised that more people don't sometimes talk about them. But like one of the ones that I think would be really interesting is the call hierarchy. Mm -hmm. where you can see both the calls going out and the calls going in from a specific method. So it's almost like, actually one day I was thinking about, oh, like how would we, how would we implement this? And I was just like, oh, it's easy. You would just do find references and then find references on every one of those references and then find reference, like a tree. I don't, that would be very inefficient, but I'm surprised more people aren't interested maybe in that feature because you could see like the entire mm -hmm. call hierarchy of, of a method, which would be really interesting. I, do I you think... Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. Go ahead. I think uh, it 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 is a bit complex, but not um, uh, like impossibly so. And I feel like it it is a nice feature for someone to work on, uh, even if, as a start, because then they could experiment with their own piece of code within this whole metals uh, mm -hmm. code base and just experiment with that. Don't have to um, think about some logic that was created before and why it was like that. They could just create the whole logic by themselves. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think that would be interesting to work on. But uh, I do have a lot of prototypes of different things that <laughs> I managed to finish. Uh, Another one I think is kind of funny is the go-to type definition, which has, there's been multiple oh, yeah. draft PRs of it that have gotten like 90% there almost, and then, and then closed, and then another time it comes, and then closed. So maybe yeah. one day we'll see that one go across the finish line, actually. I mean, we did some work on that, but it was really unsatisfactory on how it was working, unfortunately. Uh, that should... Like I think using the those draft peers and uh, uh, maybe some guidance guidance from uh, contributors, it should be possible to do. Uh, although I never felt it was like a super needed feature. I mean, it is it would be useful for sure, but uh, there's ways around it. Uh, yeah. It's I, I it's one of those features to me that's not useful until it is useful. And then you're like, dang, I wish I really had that. Because sometimes in metals, I find myself on something and I'm like, I know the type of I know what the type of this is. And I want to jump to that. So I have like two options. Either I can do a code action and insert the type and then do a go to definition on the type or do like a workspace search. But and either of them takes like multiple steps. So yes. every once in a while, when I have to do one of those, I was like, oh, man, if if we could just have a go-to type definition here, it would be, it'd be now incredible. Now you're tempting me into doing that on the weekend. Yes, that was my goal, actually. Just do this entire episode with you just to get that one feature that I've been wanting recently. The funny thing, I started to think uh, if we uh, we have uh, like type decorations for, uh, for uh, values that... Uh, yeah, type decorations that is, tell us what type uh, something is without... The type annotation explicitly written but mm. i was thinking because i don't we don't provide hovers there 
when I was working on that, I was figured that you already have that information in the normal hover. But now I'm thinking if we did provide that, then we would have go to definition with that, at least in VS Code and Sublime. I'm still not sure how to do it in Vim, uh, but then I wouldn't need to do the type, go to type definition. But, but that, I feel like that would be a workaround. It's better to do to go to type definition. And I, I know the answer to this, but just for everybody else, like what, what editor do you use and why do you use that editor? I mean, I use Visual Studio Code because uh, I feel like it's the easiest one uh, for, um, I don't want to, how do I say it? Like for most developers, like they, that don't want to spend more time uh, figure out, figuring out their own preferences. Like Vim and Emacs both have, I think, huge capabilities that I'm not even aware of. Uh, but they require you to um, get into that. Like this is another thing like with open source. So there's a barrier of entry for open source, but there's also a barrier of entry for Vim and uh, uh, for Emacs. Uh, mm. uh, um, there's also Sublime, which uh, actually is being worked on pretty a lot by uh, the contributor. And I feel like this is also uh, really well supported. Uh, so anybody, because there's also sublime text uh, lovers out there, uh, so that that is also working. But I use Visual Studio Code, which gives me also the ability to see what the beginners, like any uh, that one that starts with programming, sees in uh, when they install the first extension they find. Mm. And for example, they have this Visual Studio Code, and I'm like, ah, let's see if there's any Scala extension. Then they find metals. And uh, I'm always trying to improve the beginner experience, but I do fail really bad uh, at it because every time I think I improve something, another thing pops up. Um, well, it's also not 100% your responsibility to improve the beginner experience of Scala. <laughs> it is not, but I feel like it kind of every time somebody reports an issue or are, um, that don't feel like they understand what's going on, it feels like we did something wrong. Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean that's probably not the best approach, but it also uh, uh, enables me not to be ever too sure of myself. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I know sometimes too. I need to remind myself the way that I use tooling is not the way that a normal person interacts with their tooling environment either. Like we probably spend way more time every time something bugs us. Oh, well, let me just look in the logs here and see what's going on, and then look at the LSP trace file. Oh, okay, yeah, like that's that's not the normal steps that somebody takes when they hit on something with their tooling right but you get so familiar with working with a piece of tooling that you yeah you become very you have intimate knowledge of how what you where to look and then you kind of know exactly what's going wrong so yeah sometimes i also need to step back and just be like what would it be like if i knew nothing about bloop or semantic db and to be honest a lot of people don't they they shouldn't even have to care about it like so um yeah totally one of the one of the things that we haven't really talked much about so far with metals is Scala three support because mm-hmm. that's also like a huge topic in itself. So, and one of the questions I wanted to ask you because yeah, I know you've worked a little bit on uh, Dottie as well, like some of the compiler mm-hmm. for features that are related to metals or interactivity and stuff like that. Um, and then you've also worked on a lot of the Scala three features in metals as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I was curious, like um, one of the the themes of Scala three was that you know they wanted to obviously have a, a new compiler for, 
for correctness reasons, but also they wanted like uh, from the ground up sort of this uh, compiler that had tooling in mind. So as somebody like yourself who has worked with a lot of tooling that interacts with Dottie, have you, how have you felt like the experience has been? Do you feel like it has been a much better experience working with Dottie than with the Scala 2 compiler? Or like, do you notice a huge difference? Like, yeah, I'm just curious, like for somebody who has worked as closely with both of them as you have. So that might be a bad opinion, maybe not a bad opinion. But, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, I just want an honest opinion. That's all. My honest opinion is that Scala 2 experience is still better, especially mm-hmm. like for, um, there's certain things uh, I'll uh, delve into that in a second, but for um, features and bug fixing and making it work with different un- non-compiling code, Scala 2 has a lot of those scenarios covered because it's very much longer. While Scala 3 is really good at uh, providing those features, they still need to be battle tested. They need to be a lot of fixes to different scenarios that were not anticipated. Yeah. Which is a, a bit of a problem uh, because we are the first ones battle testing it. So, uh, so the experience wasn't better, unfortunately. Uh, but on the other hand, we are cooperating very closely with the APFL team. Uh, we also have people working on the compiler in Virtus Lab, so I have contact with them. Mm-hmm. So I feel like because of that, we're able to um, influence the compiler uh, much better. Uh, and uh, I'm able to ask a lot uh, from about how the compiler works uh, from the, the uh, from people from Virtuslab, I also ask service from uh, the people in EPFL. So I have access to all those people and I can ask, which is awesome. I feel like I wouldn't have that with Scala 2 because yeah. I don't have uh, that close relationship with the Scala 2 team. And especially, I am super happy with that we got SematicDB uh, into uh, Scala 3 because first, it's much more efficient to have it inside the compiler. Um, it takes, when we checked, it was about nine to, or nine, 11% slower when we generate semantic DB for Scala 3, but it's 30% slower for Scala 2 with this separate plugin, which is, I think is a huge difference. And another thing is that I don't have to release every time a new Scala 3 version uh, comes up, I don't have to release semantic DB for that. So. That is amazing because we can make metals just switch the version, add the new version. We also, and just uh, with uh, that, it works. We have everything. Yeah. We just add the right flag and uh, no problems at, uh, at all. Uh, unfortunately for Scala 2, I do need to release a new version of SemanticDB uh, every uh, time anything happens. Uh, which recently is much better because uh, Seth usually gives us uh, heads up when something is happening, when there's a release, we'll have time uh, to prepare. And uh, he always waits for everything to be ready. Then he announces the new release. So uh, I feel like there's also more cooperation. As I said, it's not that intimate cooperation as I have with the Scala Free team, but uh, it's still a really good cooperation. Um, So yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this isn't necessarily like 
Yeah, I don't know if this is even a great question for you, but I'm curious maybe what your thoughts are on it because you mentioned a couple of times too that it's it's really great for you because you you have like a, some colleagues that are with you working on metals regularly, like you get to work on it you know all day long. Plus, you, Virtus Lab has you know this team of people that are working on the Dottie compiler, so like there's ton, like there's good collaboration there. You can talk to them, they can talk to you, uh, like. But what about trying to get some of that knowledge to the outside world? I guess because it might be really easy for you to just talk to colleague real quick but for example for myself like i can't just message your colleague and ask hey what how does this work so yeah like do you have any ideas of maybe how to make sure that law that knowledge doesn't just get stuck in a silo at virtus lab but gets more like into the community mm -hmm. and people are talking about it and maybe have more outside contributors and stuff because for the longevity of stuff i'm sure that's really really important yeah uh, so um I, I, I don't know if you Probably heard about it. There's this uh, Scala spree, Scala spree, DOS yeah. spree uh, that uh, Anatoly uh, is uh, organizing, and I do try uh, to always be there. I, I, I think I was on each and every one of those uh, as an expert in DOT. So this is <laughs> yeah. Well, for, explain true. explain what the sprees are for people that are totally unfamiliar with them. Because yeah, before somebody mentioned it to me, I had I had no idea that it was even a thing. So I don't know how many people are aware of what what the dotty sprees are so yeah go, i think anatoly wants to increase the knowledge base still to have more people knowledgeable in the compiler okay. and then open it up ah, a bit okay. more but well, so uh, never mind i didn't mention anything about dotty sprees <laughs> I, I don't think it's bad to mention it at all it's, i i think if anybody listens to this podcast means they're interested in tooling so i i feel like sure if you're interested in tooling and you want to work on compilers this is a great opportunity because you will be able to work with someone who who knows a lot of the compilers. I do know quite a bit about, especially the interactive features. So I'm, I'm lying a bit that I'm not an expert. Compared to a lot of people, I'm probably an expert uh, on Dottie. Uh, but, uh, so this is a great opportunity. Uh, I think there's, uh, I, I don't know if it's uh, possible to easily go to, uh, probably message Anatoly on Twitter or something like that, and he'll invite you and explain mm. everything. But yeah, and just uh, to, to, what, yeah, go ahead. What it is is that uh, there's a bunch of issues that the compiler team thinks that uh, they would be nice to fix, and that it, there are possible to fix uh, by some outside contributors. And with those issues, and some uh, people even can suggest their own issues that they want to work on. Uh, we try to form teams based on the people who volunteer and we do two free people teams that work for around two hours uh, trying to fix that issue. If not fixed, uh, then at least try to uh, understand it better uh, and maybe fix it later. Mm -hmm. And usually there's uh, some someone who has a lot of knowledge about the compiler and you're able to contact the team on Slack if they're not there. Uh, Martin is usually on Slack, so you can ask him questions. Um, he isn't able to join most of the time because uh, the spirit is usually late to also uh, allow people from the United States to join in. But uh, it is actually pretty awesome place to learn about the compiler. I don't think there is a better place to learn about any kind of compiler. Uh, really, um, and it would be awesome to grow it, uh, but that needs experts, that needs people to have time, and uh, it is very difficult, I feel like, making it uh, a big, big thing, but it's usually 
uh, six to ten people there. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that's a really great opportunity to work more on the compiler and to share that knowledge. Um, I I think there's. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, because you ask about. Um, uh, tell me if I'm too talkative. Uh, no, you're, you're but, that's the uh, that's the point of a podcast is to talk. So. Oh <laughs> go no, ahead. I'm good at that. Uh, but uh, yeah, so another way of introducing people um, to be contributors uh, in compiler or, uh, or in some other projects is to, I think, record some uh, videos on how you're fixing things. Mm. I think that could help. Uh, I tried that. Uh, I actually managed to fix two issues uh, on, on live, which was very lucky, but um, uh, I think it would be much better even to record it and shoot it later because having it live is very stressful. And uh, but I feel like if you uh, with some better audio equipment, because I didn't have uh, really good audio equipment at the time, and I could try to explain every move I make, uh, I could uh, try to show my workflow, and I feel like it could this could help uh, people. Uh, like have an example issue, how someone work on that, how it would fix, how, what was the PR? Um, I feel like that's uh, very useful. Like any kind of also comments, comments are super awesome. Especially if it's a tough piece of uh, code. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I feel like those two things, the first one being the spree, is probably much better if you're interested in that kind of tooling. Uh, so the hardcore uh, compiler tooling. Uh, but I, this is a really great opportunity to learn. Cool. So kind of related to like, if we're like following a line a little bit of, of semantic DB and Scala, or sorry, and metals, and then we went sort of to Dottie and Scala three features and interactivity and stuff. Uh, one thing that's kind of related to all of this stuff that I'm curious what your thoughts are is, mm -hmm. is Tasty. And we've talked about Tasty a little bit in the past, especially when Guillaume was, was on here. Um, but something that pops up every once in a while, I think both in my head and, and I see pop up every, every place is, is people will, will say like, oh, what's the difference between uh, Tasty and Semantic DB? Can't we just use Tasty instead of Semantic DB since uh, Dottie's already uh, producing Tasty files? Like, yeah, so what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you, is there some large differences between semantic DB and Tasty that would prohibit uh, tooling from using, ta from, from using mm -hmm. Tasty instead of semantic DB? And yeah, talk about that a little bit. So currently, I think the biggest um, issue with using Tasty for uh, tooling is that you need to load the whole compiler and have the full class path uh, to read information about Tasty. Uh, well, for semantic DB, you don't have that. You you don't have to have anything aside from the uh, file itself, uh, and you can already use that. Uh, and Tasty, there's no um, easy way to read it, but uh, there is some work on Tasty Reader, which will be awesome to use. Uh, we will probably use it in Metals uh, because there's a bunch of things. Tasty is also that's a very important thing. Tasty is generated in the jar files. So we wouldn't have the same issue with semantic DB because semantic DB is not added to the jar files. Uh, so uh, we wouldn't have that issue. We could use that tasty uh, for some um, 
things like, uh, for example, Treeview could use uh, Tasty because Treeview doesn't work, the um, uh, library view in Treeview doesn't work with Scala 3 because uh, we need to read Tasty and I haven't worked on it because that is currently very heavy. Um, you can also see like in Scala CLI, there's this pretty stack traces um, uh, feature, which actually tries uses Tasty. And because there's no quick way to read it, it takes a while when you have an exception from for it to work. And it's because it needs to load up the whole compiler and everything. Uh, so uh, that would be, but uh, people are aware of that. And uh, there's work uh, or will be, there will be work done on that. Uh, I think we have a project on Scala Center about that, but uh, yeah, sure. we started so, yet. Pretty Stack Traces is a really cool project for people that are unaware mm -hmm. of it too. Like the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, this is brilliant. It just, yeah, makes your Stack Traces way more saner to look at and follow and, and see where your actual issue is. Um, but it, it's interesting because you mentioned it, using it in Scala CLI. And I, I don't know of a ton of tooling off the top of my head that actually uses Tasty. But one thing that I, I know I hit on with uh, Scala CLI in this is if you're using, for example, I think it was if you were using 310. Uh, mm -hmm. with Scala CLI, uh, and then if Pretty Stack Traces was using an old Tasty Reader and you threw an exception or something inside of your project, then there would be a Tasty version mismatch, and then you would see yeah. a huge garbled thing. So then it ended up being really tricky. So that yeah, I, it's really great that they're using that, but it, I'm sure there's also their own, I'm sure there's an, a whole new set of problems and to make sure when you're using the Tasty Reader that your Tasty versions align or else you just, yeah, you get messages about your Tasty versions misaligning, which is so confusing for an average user it that is. may have no idea what, what, what the error message, because it's not actionable at all. So I, I, I actually used Scala CLI for Elephant of Code to work on it because I wanted some simple projects. Uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, like Advent of Code is, I think, amazing. It's so, so, um, kind of, I would say cheerful because it's yeah. cheerful coding. <laughs> and uh, Scala CLI uh, was a perfect uh, tool for that because that you could work on small pieces of code easily with Scala. Mm -hmm. And we actually did a whole Advent of Code in Scala Center. And there's, uh, I think, almost every day has a solution. Uh, which uh, is done using uh, Scala CLI and also uh, is available online that you can run on Scala.js. Uh, so there are a lot of fun uh, stuff there. Uh, I recommend that. Uh, but uh, I also noticed the issue with the pretty stack traces and I asked what's going on there. And turns out there's just the PR is blocked uh, currently. And uh, um, I kind of feel like they should turn it off until we have this quick tasty reader that's maybe even separate uh, from the compiler so that it wouldn't like if there's a change in tasty then we could quickly update it in the tasty reader uh, but not depend on the compiler and changes to the compiler because I, I'm not sure exactly what changes they are but there was a PR that was just waiting on reviews or maybe there were some things that were needed to be figured out and this is why the pretty stack traces do not work for free one but I felt it was not the right experience there, uh, unfortunately. Well, uh, the pre-stack are awesome because they kind of uh, make it uh, easier for you to read stack traces. They, they tell you that this is a Lambda, this is um, uh, 
uh, I, I think they skip some. I don't remember exactly. It looks nicer and it's colorful. I, yeah. I like colorful stuff. You know? <laughs> same, same. Okay, so yeah, related to some of this stuff, we've talked a lot about different Scala Meta projects. And I think probably arguably you're the most active person now on Scala Meta across the board mm-hmm. because like, yeah, you, you contribute to Scala Meta. Yeah, you have you, you. I see you actively, I, and I also want to like. I, I hope people appreciate the amount of stuff that you've been working on because, yeah, I actively see you contributing to Scala Meta, to Metals, to MDoc, to Scala Format, and yeah, I, I hope people appreciate the breadth of stuff that you're you're touching with all of this. But yeah, like being as active as you are with the entire Scala Meta ecosystem, do you have any ideas about like what the future of Scala Meta may be? Like, do you see new tools coming under the umbrella or? Yeah, just like overall, like I don't even know if you've you've thought about it that much about it being like a an, an organization of mm-hmm. of tools and ecosystem of tools. But yeah, what do you, what do you think the future of Scala Meta will be? I, I mean, I feel like Scala Meta is a, like a safe space for tooling that we can create our own environment. I mean, I feel like we're doing a pretty good job at making it a nice and welcoming tooling space. And I would love to have even even more uh, tools, uh, though I feel like a lot of the tools that are uh, are just uh, brain children of Olaf for because uh, and he has a, a lot of good ideas. I, I uh, feel like there there will be a new tool soon uh, if Olaf is given the uh, the time. But for sure there will be more tools. Um, I wonder because I, I really haven't thought of it as a you know a future of tooling and um, I'm I'm never able to plan that far ahead, especially if I'm you know there's a, this thing is burning oh this thing is burning I'm trying to you know um, to be the fire firefighter yeah <laughs> our, our resident firefighter resident firefighter so one uh, thing so, that or go ahead. No, I, I just wanted to add that I feel like it would be cool to even bring in some tools that uh, maybe uh, are left over or don't have uh, active maintainership uh, to even Scalameta. But on the other hand, I don't think I'll be able to work on it that much. Yeah, yeah. let's maybe not try to push new tools or in, like to pick up abandoned tools. But yeah. one, because, yeah, so like... One thing that's not part of technically Scala Meta, but we heavily rely on that we haven't talked about at all that, mm. yeah, it's always sort of just lingering there in the background is, I'm sure you know what I'm going to ask about next, bloop. But yeah, like, let's talk, <laughs> let's talk bloop a little bit because uh, I would love to know, and I'm sure people out there would love to know just like what the plans for bloop are and, and what the current status of it are, because there seems to be like some very heavily used tools that are relying on it, like mm-hmm. metals, right? Like by default, if you're a metals user, you're using Bloop. Uh, mm-hmm. Now with Scala CLI, well, for the first ver- couple versions, you are using Bloop, but now there's also a fork of, of Bloop that's being yeah. used. But but yeah, like in, in general, like there hasn't been a ton of work being done on Bloop lately in comparison to what was being worked on in the, in the past. And there seems to be quite a bit of technical debt that's in Bloop. So mm-hmm. yeah, like what's the what's the future of Bloop and what's the plan for, for Bloop? So I'm still trying to figure it out because uh, on one hand, I would want to break a lot of things and plug things uh, uh, and uh, change things around. But on the other hand, uh, everything currently works. Uh, 
So I'm also kind of afraid because uh, the whole build setup is very complicated, but it works. So this is awesome. But on the other hand, if something breaks, it's very, uh, it's not easy to fix. Uh, so uh, I feel like we can improve a lot in regards to uh, how the project is structured. Um, I didn't do much about it because I'm currently uh, I'm, I'm trying to work on it for the past year, but uh, uh, it's actually quite a difficult topic. And every time I uh, work on it, uh, I feel a bit overwhelmed. Uh, this topic is uh, making sure that we use the latest Zinc. Uh, so this is the Scala incremental compiler uh, in Bloop. It's also used by SPT, Mill uh, and Gradle. I think Maven too. So it's a very heavily used uh, incremental compiler for Scala. And Bloop works on a fork of it. Uh, the history being that um, Jorge, who is uh, brilliant. I mean, if you look at that code and everything, it is quite brilliant. But uh, the problem is that he no longer works on the project. And uh, since all that is very brilliant, it's very also hard to uh, modify and he created the pipelining so uh, making uh, this um, way of compiling different projects even if an another project didn't finish yet based on some signatures that were already generated this is something that we already talked about is uh, why outlines so it was using that so it generated some things that are needed for the other project to compile and the other project can compile and Jorge worked on that and did all that which uh, is really complex and really hard to work. Uh, but because of that, he needed to fork uh, SBT Zinc, uh, Zinc, the incremental compiler. And uh, that means uh, any, uh, that fork has fallen behind. And it's not possible if there's uh, like, uh, I'm working on different things, not just on Bloop, and there's not that many maintainers of Bloop. So it's very hard to also maintain a fork of Zinc. Uh, because of that, we talked with Martin Duem, uh, who also worked on Bloop uh, when he was at Scala Center, to migrate back to uh, normal uh, fork and then update uh, to the newest version. And uh, that would mean we would need to just bump the versions of Zinc, and that would be much simpler for us. Uh, the only thing I needed to do is remove pipelining, which is really kind of uh, not what I wanted, but there's no way around it because pipelining heavy um, uses the things in the fork and SBT actually allows for pipelining and it is implemented inside SBT Zinc uh, because Zinc was, is part kind of, of the SBT project. So if you look at GitHub, it's SBT Zinc. Okay. Um, so just to make but, sure I'm following up to this point, mm -hmm. though, pipelining was added into Bloop originally because it would have been a speed boost, obviously, for yes. incremental compiling. But now the idea of pipelining is in Zinc, so there's really no more need for the custom implementation of it in Bloop, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Cool. Uh, although Fine. there will need to be some implementation in Bloop, I guess, to use, because there, Zinc, uh, using Zinc, Zinc correctly is not uh, easy. Uh, okay. It's, it's, sorry. I've never touched Zinc, so I have I have no idea. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's really a great piece of software. Like, uh, it's 
not that it, it's very well explained. There's interfaces and everything really well explained, but it's just making sure that everything, every piece works, uh, how it interacts with uh, class path with files and uh, things like that. It's a bit complex and to make sure that it's also effective so that we don't do, for example, too much IO. Uh, it's all not, it's very complex to make it work. So, uh, but it's already uh, done in Bloop and a lot of uh, thought went into that. So fortunately we don't have to rethink it all. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, when we remove the pipelining and try to use the pipelining from uh, Zing itself, it also will be a bit hard because this will be a new thing. And while uh, previously all that stuff was implemented and just moving pieces around, the new thing, uh, it's kind of uh, uncharted territory for me. So uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll be able to reuse some of the things that were uh, done previously, but I'm not sure yet. Uh, I've been benchmarking actually and uh, updating Zinc uh, to the newest version actually also uh, does uh, do a performance boost and pipelining is uh, not that much faster. Uh, it is faster, but not that much faster. So. Uh, we plan to release Bloop without pipelining, with everything upgraded to the max, uh, and then trying to add the pipelining back so that we have two versions uh, to compare if needed. Uh, but I'm almost finished with upgrading to the newest uh, Zinc. Uh, I have around four tests uh, left uh, to fix, I think, because that's how much I noticed. Um, but fortunately, uh, hopefully, unfortunately, hopefully, uh, it will not take me much more time. But as I said, I'm also a, a Scala Meta firefighter, so it's, uh, I, I feel like I'm too, I should try, sometimes leave some things be and not fix them. Uh, I, I think it's kind of psychological that I feel like I need to fix all that stuff and focus on that one uh, thing, which is Bloop for a while. And once we get Zinc pipelining back, uh, we can, uh, we're thinking about maybe extracting some parts of Bloop, especially things connected to the build tools to separate repositories, because that might be, since we didn't change configuration uh, for a while, uh, it might be uh, nicer to keep those uh, in a, uh, integration separate repositories. And people might be even um, able, uh, people working on those tools like Maven, SPT, to quickly fix uh, some uh, things because uh, the scope of Bloop is really too much for a lot of people and how it works and uh, how to set it all up is quite complex and we can make it uh, much uh, simpler. And maybe for uh, people that are unaware, like when you say, um extensions basically for other build tools can you explain what that means because yes. yeah i mean for people that are very familiar with how bloop works it might be very obvious but maybe not for for everybody else so yeah like when you say the the maven extension or spt extension of bloop what what, what exactly does that do so the way uh, bloop works it has those json configuration files for each of the targets which usually corresponds to a module in your project and a test a test module in your project so uh, each module is change into two usually. Uh, and uh, this configuration files need to be created from something. So 
uh, you can do them by hand, but that would be very tedious. And uh, JSON is not that friendly uh, when there's a lot of fields. Uh, but the way we work with it is that all the build tools that we support actually generate those JSON files with uh, either uh, inbuilt functionality, which is for some mail uh, that has, you, you can just add, uh, I think, one command and exports uh, currently. Um, or a separate plugin. Maven has a separate plugin, Gradle has a separate plugin, and SBT has a separate plugin. So those three other tools uh, we will support. And those plugins generate the configuration files, which we later use to start up Bloop. Cool. And apart from the editor extensions, another large part of Bloop is the, the CLI. So what is the plan for the CLI then? Will that remain the same? I, I, I don't know how many people actually use the CLI of Bloop, but yeah, like, will that also actually, be maybe stripped out? or? I don't think it will be stripped out. It's a really nice piece of software. Uh, not sure if we should keep it in the same repository, but probably uh, if we manage to make it uh, the build definition simpler and uh, try to... Um, because there's a lot of technical debt, which is caused by the workspace being very difficult for um, for other people that didn't create it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, if you're not familiar with it, yeah, and uh, but we can improve that for sure. Uh, but uh, Blue CLI is pretty nice, uh, honestly, because you can, uh, if you work with metals, you can, if you're using Blue, you can use the CLI to run and test things, uh, which means you will have only one compilation. It's the same situation if you use SBT currently, that you can run SBT and the same instance uh, in metals. Uh, but uh, Bloopsilla, I feel like it's pretty fast, snappy, and uh, I don't think it will go away. Yeah. Um, we I used can... to be a very heavy Bloop CLI user until I got more used to using the DAP integration inside of Metals. Uh, now, now test file and test target are like my go-tos where I noticed that I hardly ever use Bloop CLI anymore because, yeah, because I use those so often. Yeah, it uh, depends on, uh, I, I feel like there's so many options for your workload currently. Uh, you can have uh, SPT, you can use Bloop, uh, you can use the DAP integration, like uh, whatever suits you most. You, you, you kind of need to find out what what um, makes you most productive, I feel like. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, also DAP is kind of implemented in Bloop also. It was originally only in Bloop, but we extracted it uh, to, uh, I, I did it, that was Ad Adrian from Scala Center who extracted it to separate uh, library and then and now it's used also in SBT plugin. So we get um, the, the, the same kind of um, DAP integration working both in Bloop and SBT. Uh, yeah. Oh, one uh, other thing which you probably will ask me about, but maybe I'll be uh, answer now, is uh, because Scalacly is currently having a separate Bloop uh, and this is because um, Alex was working on trying to improve it. And at uh, some point he was like, you know, I, I, that he cannot deal with it anymore. And he just stripped a lot of the stuff and just left the core of Bloop in a separate repository. So, uh, and he, he has so much knowledge. Uh, Alex is really, really great. Uh, and uh, I mean, 
you've seen Scala CLI, and uh, I, I feel like it's really amazing piece of software, and it's uh, his brainchild. Uh, and uh, fortunately, he's being given the resources uh, by Fituslav uh, to do uh, to work on it. And um, I feel like uh, the improvement he's doing to this Bloop core might be really good so we might even want to switch that bloop core to be the main bloop and then uh, have the integrations uh, separate i feel like that might happen but uh, it's kind of like the bloop core is still being uh, it fetches the changes so it's uh, being synced with uh, the normal bloop so all the changes are still there um, but we've talking a lot about how to make it better because one thing, another thing, uh, sorry, I'm just jumping no, from topic ahead. to topic, but uh, <laughs> apparently JDK 17 has a much better support for named sockets, which would allow us to use, for example, multiple Bloop servers on a single machine, which uh, might be necessary if you have servers, uh, like uh, students uh, log into a server and they have multiple machines, uh, Bloop will not work currently. Uh, and uh, with named sockets, you would be able to just have a named socket inside of your home directory that you uh, do connect to by default, uh, which means that everybody would have their own Bloop uh, instance. Uh, if if you're uh, on your own on your local laptop, it doesn't change a thing, but uh, it does change uh, things for uh, people using this. Uh, sure. I, 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 at the university, I had, had this desktop that would always be there because it was on some server and we don't. So uh, this would not work with the Bloop currently. And uh, so another thing is that it's only, maybe not only, but it's best uh, implemented in JTK 17. So yeah. um, Alex is thinking that we might, uh, for example, need to only use JTK 17 for Bloop. Uh, but that's hard because uh, then that would mean we would need to uh, make Bloop pre download its own JDK in most uh, places. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's the thing I was thinking about because I like as a couple of, I think, issues I've been solving was about not having the right JDK in metals. And this uh, is a yeah. thing that Olaf was also talking about that uh, I, I don't know if it was on the podcast, but for sure I was talking about it with him that uh, similar to how IntelliJ does things, we should try to download our own uh, JDK because this uh, way we are sure it's working the way we want it to work. Yeah. And we don't have to support like JDK 8 anymore, maybe. Yeah, yeah for sure. So. Yeah. Well, I've taken up a ton of your time, but I want to give you a last opportunity again. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you really wanted to bring up or that you were hoping that we would have touched on that we didn't? Or do you feel good about everything that we went over? I feel like I, I, I have <laughs> uh, unlimited uh, things to talk about. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, I had my notes here. Um, you came prepared. You even brought notes and everything. Yes, I didn't look at them at all, but uh, <laughs> I, the process of preparing notes uh, makes you think about things. Absolutely. Uh, which is useful later to answer uh, questions. For sure. And... for sure, it helps. Yeah, but I, I want to just, again, thank you for, for giving your time. And then also, like, I mentioned this to Olaf as well, but I but Meadows, for example, was my first, like, 
introduction to open source. And I very much remember you, Olaf and Gabriela all being incredibly helpful when I got started. So that's something that I always keep in mind. And yeah, I'm very thankful for to. So thank you for you for providing such a good good atmosphere and a good it was place all to Olaf, get started. It was Olaf. No, it was, it was everybody. He too. has some secret knowledge of how to organize. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not secret. He tries to give that knowledge for free to everyone, but it's kind of, he. I feel like he has some additional knowledge on how to deal with uh, issues on, or uh, he, he is, uh, I think you could call it a kind of intuition on uh, how to deal with open source community he yeah. has a great intuition and uh i'm also really glad that uh, you joined like uh i feel like uh metals is a much better place thanks to you, having you on board uh, especially metals vim yeah. uh, which i i feel like uh, you did so much work there and i i wouldn't even know where to start and every time uh there was a question about vim i was like i don't know i've never set up vim and then chris appeared and he can answer all those questions. Amazing. Thank you. Yes, I'm happy to field all the medals of Vim questions. So, but yeah, and, and again, thank you for all your work that you do on the entire Scalamato ecosystem. Again, I, I don't think people fully realize the amount of effort that has to go into Scalamato, to Semantic DB, to MDoc for worksheets, to Bloop to make sure stuff is working. For just yeah, the there's an entire ecosystem that is. Yeah, being being helped maintained by by your efforts. So thank you. I want to say thank you from behalf of the entire ecosystem of Scala. Thanks for for all of your work. But again, thank you for taking the time and and coming and hanging out and chatting about all this stuff. And yeah, I really really appreciate it. I also appreciate it. Thank you for talking, taking the time to talk with me. It's no my problem. first podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, you did great, and yeah, I'm excited for this to to be released. Mm -hmm.